Slalom Daily Dose, our healthcare and life sciences industry podcast. I'm your host, Parti Kanodia, and today we're speaking with Hari Patel, Senior Director of Portfolio Strategy at Biomarin. We're going to hear his professional experiences and personal journey. He will talk to us about helping patients who are suffering from rare diseases with innovations in gene therapy. Hurry, I am so excited that you are here and that we get to record your story at Slalom. Welcome. Thank you for having me. It's very exciting. Awesome. Let's start by sharing with our listeners, what do you do? What's your role at Biomarin? I am a senior director at Portfolio Strategy. Portfolio Strategy is a department with, uh, specifically within the general research and development side of the organization at Biomarin. And just the gist of um, uh, what I do there is I try to influence any key portfolio decisions, uh, such as go-no-go decisions for internal programs while using advanced market and competitive analytics so that Biomarin can achieve either first-in-class therapy or best-in-class status for of innovative uh, technology platforms that we're developing. For example, to accomplish this, we analyze all available data and then utilize external market trends and really help the teams think through some white space analyses as to where we want to play and how we're going to achieve a breakthrough status uh, uh, for, for our patients. Wonderful. Sounds like a complex role. You mentioned research and development, and I understand from your journey that you come from commercial part of the organization. Mm-hmm. Wondering if you can help us understand how you pivoted from being in commercial to now research and development. Yeah, I've been in big pharma or a big biotech industry for almost two decades. Wow, you're old, Hurry. <laughs> yeah, it makes me feel old just saying that, but I know my wife will agree with that statement as well. Um, but as you mentioned, and all majority of my background prior to joining Biomarine has been all in um, commercial side of organization. What I mean by commercial is when my first job in this industry was on the sales side. I was a sales rep selling um, drugs uh, like neuroscience drugs like Prozac, for instance, um, and other neuroscience drugs on the field base. But since then, I have had uh, opportunity to grow within a variety of different commercial roles. And what we do there is just not just marketing side, but all also analytics to support the marketing decisions and strategies and tactics on what does it take for a product to be successful in the marketplace, what are some of the issues from uh, that the patients and the physicians would have prescribing and identifying those patients, and that's where majority of my experiences have been, providing innovative uh, solutions for those perspective. As everyone pivots in their career one point or the other, I took the bold move to pivot, but my pivot is twofold. One is first, as you mentioned, I am in first time in my career in research and development side of the organization. And second, I also pivoted from a traditional large biotech, large big pharma company to a mid-sized company like Biomarine. So that was a... um, Two-fold pivot that I made, I mm-hmm. believe, in my career. And it was driven by two things. First one was um, to understand the nuances of decisions that are being made on the uh, research and development side of the organization. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned, majority of my experience has been to influence on the commercial uh, side, the right. marketing side mainly. And uh, those are senior leaders within an organization, this time for the first time I'm doing on the research and development side. And I really want to understand what kind of decisions 
decisions do they make, what kind of data do they need in order to make the most informed decisions, and, who are, and how quickly we can support those uh, decisions. And that was uh, the challenge that I uh, accepted. And the second is, from an intrinsic perspective, I just wanted to learn. And I wanted to develop um, skills and expertise in gene and cell therapies. And if I may just tell a little story. We love stories. Yeah. And uh, one of my former employers, um, I, I remember a time when my team and I, we put a, and this was about five or six years ago, mm-hmm. uh, uh, a analysis. And, and this was very senior audience um, within the organization. And our, our recommendation, and uh, based on our analytics, was to pursue a gene therapy technology for a one particular indication that we were evaluating. And uh, the recommendation faced, frankly, significant headwinds from the senior audience uh, within the organization. And because most couldn't see the possibility of developing a curative therapy for a genetic disease, the unknown factor of this curative therapy was what's the limiting factor for them to move forward on this. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, they didn't know how this particular therapy would be priced. They did not know what the market potential could be. They did not know the nuances on how the patient would have access to these particular therapies, uh, uh, how uh, uh, physicians would be able to prescribe or recommend it for their patients. They also had uh, fears or unknowns around manufacturing Mm -hmm. because it is not a simple biologic or even a complex biologic, there are more complexities here. And they wanted to really um, have a more of a safer option available, relatively speaking. And myself, I wanted to be on the leading uh, edge of the technology innovation curve. And I wanted to be part of a company that has not only this technology platform, but was on the verge of identifying indications and diseases to serve the patient needs. Mm-hmm. And and I'm happy to say that I've found Biomarin mm-hmm. um, that has that, uh, but also... Uh, Um, has a focus of betterment of patient care with uh, such therapies. Yeah, you found that perfect match, right? Absolutely. Um, An organization that believed in what you were believing in at that time a few years ago and what you were seeing at that time. Thank you. Um, You mentioned a couple of words. You mentioned innovation, uh, Mm -hmm. but most importantly, the way the innovation is happening here Mm -hmm. is via gene therapy. That's right. I'm wondering if you can please share with us, how do you describe gene therapy? Yeah, so I I don't want to have a very academic conversation and discussion on gene therapies. There's a lot of nuances. Uh, For sake of simplicity, I'll focus on AAV-based gene transfer or gene addition as the definition for gene therapy for today. The gist of this, there is a mutation, and that particular mutation in that individual is having a, a component that translates into a disease and correcting that mutation can actually then not only correct the disease but then there's an important element of of that which is how can you measure the effect of that gene therapy so the very simple form is mutation mutation translates into a protein or lack thereof and the protein uh, that you can then eventually measure Mm -hmm. for instance you know think of hemophilia Mm -hmm. it's a single mutation and uh, patients with hemophilia are unable to make a protein called factor eight, and gene therapy can fix that mutation mm-hmm. and allow those patients to make their own factor eight. And sore um, is then you have ability to measure factor eight levels in those patients. So um, you know that in, in a nutshell is gene therapy. 
you mentioned hemophilia. I'm wondering if you can also share with us what's the target population like? What's the target population of patients for this disease state? Yeah, um, it depends on the diseases and uh, the technology platform they're using for gene therapy. So, for example, and specifically for, for hemophilia, there's a, maybe even half a dozen gene therapy programs and considerations there. But each and every one of them, the target patient population is more on the do, uh, adult patients and not the children. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is these are liver-directed gene therapies, meaning they're um, and are targeted for liver and correcting, and the liver is going to be manufacturing the factor eight product. Children have growing livers, and um, as as they, the liver grows, the gene in, inside the liver will be diluted over time, and as a result, the efficacy would wane. That's, in principle, the scientific theory. And what we are trying to do is have for adult patients where the gene, uh, livers are fully grown, mm-hmm. and you insert this particular gene, and that gene can then continuously manufacture this protein and then hopefully has a uh, durability and uh, curative effects that we're looking for. I mean, that is transformative for those patients and for the life that they have ahead of them, Absolutely. Right? We talked about you working at Biomarin and hemophilia being one of the diseases that you're looking at. But mm-hmm. overall, from a Biomarin standpoint, we're talking about rare diseases, mm-hmm. right? I'm wondering if you can help us describe what the rare disease landscape look like, starting from how do you define rare disease? Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, there are nuances, as you can imagine, between U.S. and Europe on this front as well. Sure thing. Um, For the U.S., rare diseases are typically defined as less than 200,000 patient prevalence in the United States. There's thousands of diseases that could be classified as rare diseases. Our focus has always been on rare diseases, but on also with the genetic component of those diseases. As I mentioned, a gene that can be identified or genes that can be identified with that particular disease. So, for instance, one of our recent approvals uh, in the rare diseases, the disease is called Batten's disease, specifically with a CLN2 mutation. It's a devastating disease because most children that are born with this condition die between the ages of 6 and 12. Now, as a parent, I know I, I cannot even imagine this, as you, as you can understand. Yeah. And uh, you asked me uh, sort of the landscapes and what are some of the special considerations. Mm-hmm. And by Marin made a decision some time ago to pursue a program in this area, and there were no therapies approved for CLN2 mutation uh, for Batten's disease, none that were in development at the time. And with this ultra-rare disease, less than maybe five or 6,000 patients, there was no placebo arm mm-hmm. in development. And uh, for ethical reasons, as you can imagine, right? Um, yeah, we're talking about kids here. Absolutely. This is all public information, but from the time the biomarin uh, enter in the clinic with a therapy for this particular condition, now called Brunora on market, to the time it entered or launched, it was four years. Wow, in, yeah, that's in, unheard of I, in I, our industry. Absolutely. It's, uh, I had never heard of another product that had such a quick development timelines. And there's many reasons why that was the case on the fast timelines. The most important one is the, the high unmet need for those patients and those parents with the ch- children that have this condition. Yeah, it's amazing when we put our minds to it the type of innovation that we can bring to the marketplace Mm -hmm. and truly change the lives of 
hundreds and thousands of people, in this case, kids here. Absolutely. Thank you for, for sharing your work. We talked about the rare disease landscape, and we talked about how rare it is for companies like Biomarin to develop these therapies. I'm wondering if you can speak to us about the impact that Biomarin and therapies like this is having on these patients. Yeah, absolutely. I mentioned Batten's disease earlier, and um, our focus as a company is to serve high unmet need diseases uh, via the optimal existing innovative technology platforms that Biomarin has. The impact to patients, one way is I'll remember the first month that I had with the company when I joined Biomarin. And I remember a meeting a father uh, of a son uh, that, with Batten's disease and the learning of his story. Mm-hmm. Because of Biomarin's work and collective solutions of all the employees, his younger son with the same condition was alive and well. I could see and feel the pride that this person had when I spoke with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he spoke very proudly of his younger uh, son uh, achieving the development mi- milestones that, um, unfortunately, his older son did not um, and had, had succumbed to the same condition earlier. And this was, in my mind, I will never forget that conversation, that the only wish was, why was this therapy not available maybe two or three years earlier for him to save his older son? That gives me goosebumps just to know that now he can truly see his younger son live the life that he truly wanted for his other son as Absolutely. well. And this is the impact that a company like Biomarin and others um, you know, that have this focus in rare disease mm-hmm. with truly innovative therapies can provide to patients and their family and their loved ones. That is game-changing. Yeah. Doing this is, is no easy task, right? Yeah. No easy feat to um, truly be innovative and develop these therapies, Mm-hmm. I'm sure there must be a lot of challenges that as an industry we're facing. Could you help us understand some of these challenges that we're facing in this disease state from an industry standpoint? Sure, absolutely. You know, I will start out uh, with three f- overall challenges for rare disease um, and from an industry perspective. I will focus on more on the U.S. side because as you can imagine, rare diseases outside of the U.S. have their own nuance and special considerations. And um, and for purpose of today's conversation, let's uh, focus more on the U.S. side to keep uh, the conversation a little bit more simple to explain. If I can summarize, there's three key challenges. One is identification of patients, as anybody can can imagine. Second is the clinical rationale. Mm-hmm. And then the third is logistics. So what I mean by that? So I'll walk each uh, through each one of those three. So first, um, you know, by definition, rare disease, fewer patients, and we don't know where the location of these patients are. Um, so identifying these patients for these rare conditions at the right time, at the right place, is really, really crucial, not only for the development timelines for these programs to be studied on, but also for those patients to get the therapies once they're approved. And unfortunately, it's not like diabetes, heart disease, and some mm-hmm. of the larger chronic conditions where the patients are uh, in thousands and sometimes even millions in the United States. So it's uh, understanding the disease and where those patients are is a challenge and a huge challenge. 
Second is, from an industry perspective, is the scientific rationale. What I mean by that, you know, and especially when it comes to rare diseases and the genetic components for the disease, it's really important to identify the mutation of the, and the gene and how that gene what the consequences of the protein is, either over-suppression, um, over-expression, or a suppression, meaning the protein is not made at the right level or the levels, and then can we measure that as a biomarker? So oh, you need all three of those things in order for a solution for that particular genetic rare disease that we're focusing on. Mm-hmm. If you have a breakage in any one of them, meaning you have identified the gene and the mutation, and you know the consequences are in the protein, but you have inability because of lack of assays or inability to get to that tissue to measure that protein, you cannot really have a workable, approvable therapy on the market as a result of that mentioned hemophilia earlier that's a classic example where one gene causes hemophilia the result is lack of factor 8 protein and then if you were to solve that via gene therapy and the body can produce their own factor 8 then can you measure those factor 8 levels and the answer to that is yes you can have assays that can measure or measure those uh, levels. But more importantly, you can also measure the results of having no joint bleeds as well. Mm-hmm. So that's a perfect solution for what I mean by clinical rationale. And I mentioned uh, logistics, and specifically what I mean by the uh, logistics is the patients, uh, and in particular the patients when it comes to the trial period of this. And uh, I'll share a story here as well. So in one of the stories that I had learned about is rare disease. Patients are not always in the urban centers and the big academic centers where majority of the times these therapies or innovative therapies are being studied in Mm -hmm. clinical trials, right? They could be in a very rural setting. Uh, Even their doctor is a couple hours away, let alone a academic center that uh, is part of this particular trial. Wow. So where um, the solution comes in is patient advocacy groups in these cases. Um, uh, And and in this particular story that I have, patient advocacy group was fundamentally critical for these patients to not only travel, be identified and be traveling to uh, the centers, And then once they got to the center, they took care of um, organization, meaning they had uh, the family members and the parents had rooms to stay in. uh, There was a person there helping them navigate the logistics and the hurdles of how do you get from uh, point A to point B. And without the support of patient advocacy in this particular condition, uh, I think it would have been really, really difficult for the families to be present for those clinical trials at the right time and the right place. Yeah, the right time and the right place, right? So developing a therapy is not enough. Absolutely. Right? Making sure that the tail end, which is how do you make sure that the therapy is given to the right patient at the right time Mm -hmm. is crucial in realizing the potential of these innovative therapies. And it seems like you guys are really paying attention to that and collaborating with patient advocacy groups and others as such to realize the potential of these therapies and making sure that patients are able to benefit from them. Absolutely. You know, we talked about these challenges from an industry standpoint, and you shared a story Mm -hmm. from a biomarin standpoint. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, 
is Biomarine able to solve all of these challenges and perhaps even some more that yeah. we have not covered? Or yeah. are we focusing on prioritizing some yeah. of these and then yeah. helping address those first? Yeah, that's a great question. And yeah, the answer is both. You know? So as you can imagine, a, small si- a smaller company in midsize, it doesn't have infinite amount of resources to have every single rare disease be covered under the sun with a innovative therapy on there. So there are, from a portfolio perspective, trade-offs mm-hmm. and prioritization that is required as part of that. But at the same time, what I will say is Biomarina is also in a leading edge of AAV-based gene therapy programs, as mm-hmm. I mentioned with the hemophilia program. And there are lessons that we have learned, and we have solved some of those challenges on that front. And, we, and there's an opportunity where we can leverage those learnings and to implement in the future gene therapy programs that we would have uh, using similar technology platforms. Mm-hmm. And we can use your wonderful analytics background to make sure that Absolutely. we are prioritizing in the right way. Absolutely. One of my jobs <laughs> is to institutionalize the learnings across the, across the portfolio. Amazing. Yeah. Let's now transition into you and you as an individual (laughs) and let's hear about what excites you and inspire you to come to work every day and show up every day and tell your kids what you do yeah uh, i know sometimes my wife will ask me that question what did you do today you know (laughs) to be honest like what i really find my passion is to able to have enhanced patient care I started out, as I mentioned earlier, as a sales rep in this industry. And that was my first and, frankly, the last exposure that I had a touch point with the patients and the physicians on a regular cadence. And uh, I sort of a little bit missed that. Uh, and, and, mm-hmm. and hearing those patient te- testimonials where I would be waiting in the waiting room trying to get a couple of minutes with the physician and, and, uh, and how that drug that I was trying to convince the physician and, uh, had value in the marketplace and, uh, was benefiting that particular patient. Uh, the environment is very different than when I was a sales rep two decades ago. But at the same time, you know, what I really care is that enhancing that patient care. Right. I mentioned that story of about um, and the father with a, ch- a child in, with Batten's disease and the goosebumps I got when I spoke with him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and those are the, the little things um, that I really appreciate. And I certainly appreciate how a company like Biomarine can make a difference for high unmet need diseases, like I said earlier, because I've heard patient testimonies like those. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the difference Biomarine's truly innovative therapies are having on children. Mm-hmm. And the work that you're doing to contribute towards that. That's right. 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 And yeah. To take even one step further, you know, when, when I look at my precious little son, what if he had one of those XYZ diseases? And when I want to find a cure and treatment for that person, or you know, uh, so I make sure that he is uh, given the optimal care, or he is going to survive without any negative effects of that particular disease. Yeah. Absolutely. Of course, I would. Absolutely. Yeah. And and that's a litmus test and. And, um, and the yardstick, I hold myself everything I do. And that's what I'm very, very passionate about. That's what I am really driving towards. Mm-hmm. And I can see that passion here as you're talking to us. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. My final question to you is, as we like to hear from all of our guests, yeah. what's hurry outside of work? <laughs> what do you do outside of work when yeah. you're not 
delivering on innovative therapies. Yeah, yeah. Well, currently my wife and I are enjoying the terrible twos phase of my son <laughs> oh, no. that I mentioned. Yeah, yeah. As you can imagine, that's been a very, very interesting to put it mildly. Um, mm-hmm. And Arena, my wife, and I love traveling. We uh, we used to a lot more of this, unfortunately, but uh, with the sun, we have you know, been more measured of international travel. But you know, we're, we're taking a lot more road trips, especially in the local uh, Bay Area. We're wine lovers, we're foodies, uh, so we explore the Bay Area. We love going up to Napa, Sonoma, and our times off to just make a road trip out of it, uh, you know, or make a weekend out of it, and enjoy some of these things uh, with our little ones. We definitely need those times after being heads down at work, working that's, on innovative therapies. That's right. So, <laughs> that's right. That's well right. deserved on that. That's right. Thank yeah. you so much, Hari, for joining us, for sharing your professional experiences, and most importantly, sharing your personal journey mm-hmm. here with us on the Slalom Daily Dose podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Slalom Daily Dose. We hope you enjoyed listening to us. Stay tuned for more healthcare and life sciences episodes coming your way soon. Until next time, this is your host, Perti Kanodia.